Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 98 of Dean Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Ben Bumhopper. How are you doing tonight, Ben? Eh, you know, we'll see how the night goes. Uh, if I lose my voice by the end of this, uh, you're going to be picking up some slack. Great. I'm so glad I have been talking a ton the last four days. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm so glad I've been coughing a ton and and not talking a bunch. And it's it's allowed me to be here tonight. <laughs> we will see how it goes. <laughs> yes. Oh, fun. Yes. Uh, but the... anyways, we do we do have some we do have some good stuff to talk about tonight. We got mm-hmm. some fun stuff. So yeah. I'm excited to dive into our topics a little bit. Well, you know what? Without further ado, while we both have voices, let's go ahead and just jump right in. Let's do it. Uh, so Planescape, the I say brand new setting. Obviously, <laughs> it is a the a brand new to 5e uh, setting. Uh, the source book released or the I guess I should say the box set release, because this is another one of those uh, triple book mm-hmm. sets that comes with uh, they're all, you know, hundred ish pages Um and it comes with uh, basically the setting guide to Sigil, because it is Sigil and not Sigil. I found out uh, multiple times. Yes, thank on good authority. Thank you, to, uh, Wizards of the Coast videos. We appreciate you. Yeah. Yes. So Sigil. Uh, so we have the Sigil in the Outlands uh, setting book. We have the monster book for Planescape, and then there is an adventure that is included as well. So it's a, it's one of those nice little, uh, little box sets. Um, there's also some really interesting stuff. So we're, we're just going to kind of preview this a little bit because it is a new setting, uh, for five E and there's an, it's one that a lot of likely older D and D players will be very familiar with. But, uh, for me specifically only starting in five E, this is a, this is a brand new thing to me and it is, honestly super interesting yes i think it i think it's a concept it's it's a very interesting setting and one that you could tell a lot of stories in oh yeah it it, so okay the the big popular thing right now is the multiverse you know in in marvel and dc and everything i don't know whatever this is basically a multiverse nexus of everything D&D. So every single setting, every single type of character, every single type of monster, like everything is all connected in Sigil and like the Outlands and just everything around in there. It's it's something that like this is this is homebrew 101. Like if you ever wondered, hey, can I put this thing from something that's, you know, not in kind of the same place into my world? Oh, yeah, you can. Uh, Planescape is basically the thing that says, hey, you like D&D? Cool. You like every single setting of D&D? Cool. Here, have fun. You know, it, it's a it's a, um, a toy box just full of everything you could possibly need to do any sort of game in in this. And that is one of the biggest draws to me of this is really cool. Like, am I going to take my, my system and, and my homebrew and everything immediately just throw them into a door through Sigil? No. But if, you know, some weird, crazy stuff happens, I know that I have a place where they could end up and have access to any sort of type of adventure that I need going forward. And it's actually, you know, officially sanctioned. I don't have to come up with the whole thing. It's very handy in that sense. Yeah, which is which is super nice. So the uh, the first book, that's the the setting book. It, this this whole set seems very much geared toward DMs and much less so to players. There's only, I believe, like two background options, a few new feats uh, and yeah. a few spells. And almost all of it is very single specific. Like they, it, it almost all of it seems very much geared toward they you use these if your character is playing in sigil or some sort of sigil campaign exactly um, those two backgrounds specifically for this yeah so there's there's a lot uh so there's unless unless you're playing a very specific sigil campaign uh you might not or your players might not get a ton out of this book um dms though this this three piece 
uh, three-piece set is uh, chock full of good stuff. Um, you have Sigil, the City of Doors. Basically, uh, for the uninitiated, uh, which was me not long ago, uh, Sigil is basically a melting pot of the multiverse. It is located in a true neutral uh, plane of existence. Uh, they they wax on about, uh, you know, this is a place where uh, devils may run a bar and angels may work as bartenders uh, or waiters. Uh, you will see literally all sorts of different peoples and types and species and races working together or at least living in proximity in yeah. this city of doors. And it is ruled over by the not a deity because apparently she doesn't like it when people worship her or uh, call her a God, uh, the lady of pain, who is this mysterious figure who rules over uh, Sigil itself. Um, and there are, multiple factions in the city that vie for power uh, up and down. And as long as you don't get on the Lady of Pain's bad side, then uh, she kind of just lets it go and lets lets things kind of progress as they will. So it's a it's a very interesting setting, and it is kind of capped off by the Outlands, which is this giant plane of neutrality. And in the center is this almost infinite spire. And on top of this infinite spire is Sigil itself. Uh, and there are inside of Sigil, Sigil, the city of doors, there are portals to all sorts of planes. And in the outlands, there are these gate towns that basically lead to the planes. Uh, these like fully, you know, uh, chaotic evil plane or the celestia, the, you know, lawful good or all these sorts of things. And it's an incredibly varied landscape and it is beautiful. And there's so much to do. And they talk basically how you could run entire, you know, campaigns within the outlands or the, the different gate towns or the different wards inside of Sigil itself, which, are all self-contained uh, places as well. So it's it is a it seems like a very fun, interesting sandbox uh, for your D and D experience. Yeah, and and one of the things that I think is just awesome is that it really does show that this is a place where things can can live and breathe and just exist against type. Uh, like you were saying, you know, a demon running a bar with like angels working for him as, you know, servants and stuff. It's, it's just a whole hodgepodge of everything kind of mixed together who, you know, maybe, you know, their, their normal plane of existence or something didn't really, you know, fit with them. Maybe they didn't like it too much or whatever. You know, they, everybody's kind of found their home, their place, their niche here. And, you know, having access to the entire multiverse is, pretty cool and again you want to base a uh some sort of adventuring guild in sigil well guess what you have access to the entire multiverse of, of in inner planes outer planes any sort of other plane and it's just a lot of really cool fun stuff that i i think again just opens up so much of of D, &D to you yeah yeah i i really can't wait to kind of uh sit down and dig deep and read through it because this seems like a setting book that I could certainly uh see myself pulling from. Mm -hmm. uh, Definitely. Because it does not have anything to do with the prime material plane and the world I run is homebrew uh prime material plane. But uh beyond that I use much of the existing you know D, &D multiverse stuff. So this is just another tool in the old toolbox uh to potentially play around with. And then you also have the monster book and there's some really interesting things about the monster book that kind of, I think give us uh, even so more so than Morgan Kane's uh, Tome of Foes uh, insight into what monster design is going to look like moving forward into these, into this 2024 revamp. Um, some of the big things uh they seem uh, wizards as a whole seems to be moving away from legendary actions. 
um, legendary resistances are still present. Yeah, but makes sense. Legendary legendary actions on these bigger uh, monsters have been replaced with reactions, uh, just like regular old reactions. So let's like take the time dragon, which is one of the new stat blocks, for example. Uh, instead of a legendary actions block, it has a reactions block, which says the dragon can take up to three reactions per round, but only one per turn. So it works in much the same way mm -hmm. that legendary actions did, but it is streamlined. And because of that, uh, several of the attacks are actually um, based on actual reactions based on certain things that can happen. So like uh, the first one, reactive rend after using a legendary resistance or in response to being hit by an attack roll, you can use your reaction to make a rend attack. So it's a, it's a specific situation. Uh, slow time immediately after the creature, the a dragon can see ends its turn. The dragon targets a creature it can see within 90 feet of itself. That is weakened by its time breath. Mm -hmm. There's another, another qualifier right there until the weakened effect ends the target. Its speed becomes zero, uh, time slip the dragon has the damage it takes from an attack made against it, provided it can see the attacker. And then it can immediately teleport along with any equipment swearing or carrying up to 60 feet. So instead of basically having a bunch of legendary actions and saying, just do these three times, maybe at some point or, uh, having to worry about, uh, this costs this much, uh, this costs like two legendary actions. This costs one. You only have a pool of three or you have a pool of five. They're actual reactions like a character has, mm -hmm. or just like a normal enemy has, but you can just use them three times within a round instead of some arbitrary thing. And you use them in response to specific things instead of just kind of doing it whenever. Yeah. I, I like this change a lot instead of like, Oh, well, let's see. Ryan's done with his turn. So I guess I'm going to go ahead and do this now. You know, it makes more sense that it is kind of more of a reaction based thing. Just, just kind of story wise. If you think about it, you know, I go up to a dragon, I smack with something. It doesn't like that. It's going to smack me back. You know, kind of works that way as opposed to just, um, I'm standing here doing something and then all of a sudden whack. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that still kind of works if you're fighting a dragon, but anyways, that's beside the point. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I do like about this as well is that it, it kind of takes away the whole, okay, this action takes, it, 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 it takes the place of two legendary actions. So, you know, you can only do this and then one other one during its turn. Um, you know, like adding up the math, tracking your legendary reactions and or legendary actions that way just kind of became a little like tiresome to me. And honestly, I probably lost count just because I'm trying not to go overboard and, you know, I'm definitely underutilizing it and stuff. So this having a little bit more of a qualifier on it, I actually really like this. Um, like as you mentioned, the slow time, it only works if someone's actually weakened by the breath. I think that's great. It means that this, you know, potentially more powerful thing uh, that it can do is only available if, you know, this other action has happened in the first place, which, I mean, you can totally tee it up with on the time dragon's turn. It's going to time breath everybody. And then at the end of this turn, that dude's the um, speed becomes zero. That's it. We're doing this because of that. And I, I like it. It feels like you're, you're, you're adding more to it and using like building blocks to kind of control your end of the encounter a lot more. And to me, I, I think it's a no brainer. This is a, a better system and I I'm excited to actually get in and start using it. Yeah. It gives you something to look for. And so I think that at least in theory, I think that should help you remember to use them. Since it's all built in and it's, it's funny cause um, uh, this is, this is uh, one of the things we're looking at talking about this was an article on uh, Bell of Lost Souls. And uh, they were just like, hey, this was just in time for the Shocking Grasp change, which are currently Shocking Grasp can make it so the opponent can't take reactions. <laughs> so uh, 
talk about being able to just like shut down the reactions of like uh, they talked about the new like Vecna stat lock. Uh, all Vecna's thing are the three reactions per round now. So <laughs> shocking grasp on Vecna. Vecna can't counterspell anymore. <laughs> so uh, that's probably one of the reasons we're seeing changes to some of those types of things that shut reactions down. So what you're telling me is that a cantrip can't actually completely negate a god. Oh, man. That's that's what wizard seems to be telling us. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I guess. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, also, in the book, where we've noticed that uh, they are starting, uh, and we've we've talked about this several times. We're starting to see more uh, more things that individual monsters can do. We're starting to mm-hmm. see bonus actions and reactions uh, more so on the different monsters. And I think this is an incredibly uh, good, strong design direction. And I'll mention this again, and I really want to take an episode to talk about it at some point, but MCDM's uh, Flea Mortals monster book, I feel like is the pinnacle of 5e monster design, period. Between any first or third party stuff, it it is incredible. They're fun to play and they're fun to play against. And I'm hoping that wizards is starting to see that and move their design direction. And it, it kind of seems like they are a little more in that direction uh, where yes, the you're giving the monsters more to do because I want them to be fun as fun for me to play as they are for the players to play against. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And the, the thing is that usually from what we've seen before, a lot of the monsters are, you know, just very cut and dry. Like I'm going to attack you at the end, um, giving them bonus actions, giving them more to do. It really does give the DM, you know, a lot more fun, but also it, it rounds out the enemy so that it's a little bit more equal to the, the players as well. And I mean, as much as we love having, uh, you know, higher level parties go and fight, uh, just a group of bandits who are just way out of their league. Um, having more equal footing on some of these encounters is actually something that, that works really well. And it gives the players a bit more uh, challenge and, you know, makes them think more strategically during certain things as well. Seeing as how this character over here on a bonus action can, I don't know, drop caltrips and create um, some sort of, you know, difficult train in between them and the, the, the melee fighter or, or something. I don't know. Well, and it gives us, less need to do things like monster fixer, Mm -hmm. right? Because like anything that is less work for me is good because DMing is a lot of work. There's a lot of things you have to prep. There's a lot of things you have to do. So if I can just pull the monsters and the stat blocks and use them as is rather than going, oh, this looks really boring. I really like this creature, but thematically it just needs more. (sighs) I got to think about, you know, what extra things I can add to it. Mm-hmm. The less I have to do that, the better. Right. So good. De- this is a good design direction. Yes. And until every monster has really good design, monster fixer will be around, but I look forward to the day when we can retire the segment. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, I, I just have to throw in really quick. That, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, at least the monster manuals will also has, you know, a lot of the fun little like snippets kind of like Fizzbens did with the dragons and everything. Um, I'm just kind of scrolling through the, the beast cherry and I'm on sunflies, which by the way, sunflies have a bonus action. You know, you brought it up and boom right there. Bonus action. Yeah, Swarm sheds yeah. bright light and a 15 foot radius and dim light for an additional 15 feet, or it uses bonus action to extinguish the light. There you go. Something, something there. Um, but underneath it, there's just a picture and a quote from Mort, which is that, did you know that if you hold a sunfly up to your ear, you can hear what it's like to be stung by a sunfly. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's, the fun, it's the fun little floating skull guy. It's like uh, yeah. a lot of the, the, the books where they have the little snippets from the, the whoever's writing the book, like Big B or Tasha or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Where they leave their own little, little snippets in. It's just, it's fun. I had to share that because it, it made me chuckle. There's also some really cool stuff uh, that help you as a DM adjust your monsters, which is something that 
fifth edition has been very lacking in mm-hmm. um, so far, but there are some pretty cool templates in this book called planar influences. Uh, and there's a list of 16 different outer planes with two to three different traits each that you can add to any existing monsters for flavor. If you're wanting to, uh, I think some of the examples they gave it like a, a unicorn that has been corrupted by a, an evil plane, right? You can go to your planar influence table and add one or two things to this unicorn without really doing much to change the CR, but adding a lot of flavor to it, especially as you um, <clears throat> describe how it has been changed by this plane. It is black. Its horn is razor sharp like a sword all the way through. Its eyes glow red, uh, and it leaves a trail of black and red mist instead of unicorn, uh, instead of rainbows, right? And so you can use these planar influences to then add one or two things that is a, would be appropriate to a uh, plane, X-plane corrupted creature. Yeah, like, you know, if it's the influence from the Nine Hells, you can add the Viper Nest, which when the creature dies, the body disgorges a swarm of poisonous snakes in the same space. That's gross. Yeah, there's a lot of cool <laughs> stuff. There's a lot of cool stuff. And I want to see more stuff like this. There, where they give the DM the mechanics uh, and the ability to easily modify things for their liking, especially if they're reskinning stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is a great start. This is a great start. And this is really one of the first times they've done this for 5e. And so I want to see, I want to see more of this type of thing. Because uh, anything that, again, eases that creation process or that modification process is uh very welcome yeah this is all just really cool stuff and i mean the the different kind of influences and, and everything or, or the the denizens that uh, they have here that can uh be you know like a beast and is living in the outlands and like kind of what's an interesting tick that you can kind of add to that or something like a dragon or anything because again we're talking multiverse everything from everywhere can be here and just adding just little bits and in, in, in like flavor on top of all the stuff is just really cool. Like I'm, I'm really enjoying this book. There, there's a lot of neat stuff to kind of go through. And I mean, we're barely touching the surface on it. And yeah. it, it is just it, it's packed full of just fun, interesting things that you can do to, you know, change your monsters, see, you know, new stat blocks of things that, you know, you never dreamed of before. And it gives you kind of hints as to where everything's going. And, and again, I'm I'm really enjoying the set and uh, I have it digitally. I need to get it like physically as well, because this is one of those where I, I want to just sit there and just poke through it. Yeah. And the physical set is actually pretty neat because it does come with a DM screen and also comes with a map of Sigil and the Outland mm-hmm. on the other side. So that's that's included in this like three three book uh, box set. So that's that's a fun, fun extra. And speaking of, uh, finally, we're not going to dive into it or anything, but there's also the adventure uh, that you can run that is a level, um, I believe it is a level 3 to 10 with a jump to 17. Yeah. So that's that's super interesting. I love I love to see when they officially support tier four, tier three, tier four content. Uh, that's super good. So I'm excited uh, because I think I think this will be a fairly popular book um, and uh, book set. So I hope uh, this will give a really good taste of some tier four stuff to parties, especially in an official capacity. Uh, and that we see more support for tier three and four going forward. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And um, I think we, we mentioned uh, glitch characters in the last episode. Um, th- this is the book where you're going to find glitch characters, all the different inc- incarnations and kind of how to go through and play with them, um, which, again, a really interesting concept. And this is, this is the place to play it. Agreed. All right. So if you want it. Check it out. It's on D&D Beyond. It's out at your friendly local game store now. Uh, our, ours here uh, locally had a bunch of copies of it. Um, the art is phenomenal. Uh, so definitely check that out. 
if it sounds like that would be interesting to you. Next, uh, we are going to just chat for a little bit about cursed items. This, these are tricky. These are very tricky. It's a very interesting topic because uh, there are a decent amount of cursed items in the official book on the Dungeon Master's Guide or whatever. But are and any I'm of not, them good? I'm not a real, I'm really not a fan of most of them. Uh, I don't think they, I don't think they, I don't think the rules around cursed items are super good because mm-hmm. one, you can't really find out if it's cursed until you tune to it. Yeah. Uh, most of the cursed items that are official are mostly detriments. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of balance in, in the cursed items themselves. And then to top it all off at level, what five, there's a spell called remove curse. Yep. The end. So which can completely negate cursed items. If you have the right party, or if you don't, you could just be screwed. Mm -hmm. So there's, I, I, think this is one of the places in 5e where there are lots of shortcomings. I would love to see much more uh, adjustment and tuning and better mechanics behind this in the 2024 version of the Dungeon Master's Guide. But until then, how do we do cursed items well and how do we make them fun and interesting? Yeah. So have you run a cursed item yet? I have one uh, in my last campaign. There was a huge cursed item through line throughout the entire campaign. It was the, the bow, right? Uh, it was it was the quiver. Oh, the quiver. It was yeah, a cursed, a cursed quiver. And it starts. So I feel like that ended up being a. Uh, a curse item that was done fairly well. So the, I, I basically started it. Uh, they found, uh, they found this cursed item or this item in a green dragon layer. So there's, there's some foreshadowing that it, with all the like alchemy stuff and the, the poisons and stuff, there's some foreshadowing that, Everything might not be what it appears. Uh, the curse did not even kick in for a little bit. Um, it started off as just like a something that gave a, a bonus, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, but then it, over time, it turned into more. And it started to do some interesting things. Uh, at first, it ended up just giving bonuses. It was the the carrot and it was one of those one of those things that was lasting. And then eventually the quiver itself disintegrated, but the effects remained. And so that was the point of, oh, something is going on with this thing. But the player just never had it checked out, never questioned it. And then stuff started happening. And, uh, throughout the entire thing, um, I was always making sure anytime there was escalation, I had a little sidebar with the player and it's just like, you know, this could get worse if you don't, you know, take care of it or whatever. And they're just like, Oh no, that's, it's manageable or no, this is fine or, you know, whatever. And so it was just one of those things that just kind of ended up escalating. There was good and bad because I, I don't feel like, and this, this may just be me personally. I don't feel like you should ever get an item that just screws you over, Mm -hmm. especially an item that you cannot get rid of or cannot part with. There has to be a carrot with the stick. There has to be. Uh, Otherwise you just, will make it completely unfun for the player. Mm -hmm. So there has to be, you have to balance that good and bad. You have to make that item 
intriguing, interesting. You have to make the decision to pick it up or to use it after they identify it or whatever compelling enough that they're willing to take the detriment for it. Or maybe the detriment isn't a big deal at first, right? Uh, and then it, maybe it grows over time. And then they have to start making those hard decisions if they want to keep that boon while the debuff is getting worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's something you have to be very careful about. But for me personally, I will never give a cursed item out that is just literally a like you have disadvantage on everything or like. If you don't attack something, you attack yourself or attack your friends or yeah. something like that. Or you that. take the, the five points of damage. Yeah, there's there's just certain things uh, that. The player are out of the player's control or are just not fun for the player, like uh, there was there's some comments. We'll have a, a video um, kind of about cursed items that we'll link in our, our uh, community content shout outs later. Uh, someone in the comments had been like, yeah, there is this one item that basically uh, made it so someone couldn't cast spells. It's the wizard. And you got to do this whole big, crazy thing to to fix it. Yeah, it took them, I think, five sessions. That's not fun. Because you just basically made one player completely worthless mm -hmm. for five sessions. You derailed whatever the entire campaign was about because the party has to fix this as quickly as possible or else that person is just going to continue not having fun. And you may have derailed the storyline based on what you were doing before. And that can kill a lot of momentum mm -hmm. as well, where it's something more interesting would have been uh, something like you cast stuff and it does extra things when you cast it, but it drain every time you cast, it drains you faster. So now you have to be a little more careful. It does not destroy the entire thing that you do <laughs> that can actually cause damage or you utility or whatever, but it makes you have to think about what you're doing a little more, but you're also getting something from it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. What, one of the funniest ones I read was somebody said their DM gave them a dagger that uh, always whispered to them to try and compel them to kill people. But the dagger itself had no power to actually compel them. <laughs> so, so it was just a, a funny little thing that's like trying to influence you, but can't actually force influence mm -hmm. you. Yeah, so I thought I thought that was I, I thought that was uh, funny. That made me that made me chuckle. That's pretty good. Um, so I, I kind of talked a little bit about this in previous episodes, but um, I ended up using uh, one of the, the Wizards of the Coast Curse items because I was going through and looking at all of them and none of them really seemed good or fun. But I kind of wanted to put something in there because uh, I mean, I knew I had a player that if she were to have gotten the cursed item, she'd be like, OK, this is great. We're going to roll with this. We're going to have fun with this. And it was, you know, one of those ideas of like, OK, you know, we're going to add a little bit of depth in, in everything to this. And uh, I ended up using the Stone of Ill Luck, which basically if uh, anybody identifies it, it comes out as a Stone of Good Luck, which means that they get a, a plus one to all of their saving throws, uh, oh, ability checks and saving throws, which, you know, that, that's a pretty good thing. But the curse is, is that when they actually have it, it gives a negative two. So instead of the plus one, they're getting minus two from what they originally had. So it's something that I needed to keep track of on any of their saving throws. I needed to, to subtract the two. Um, but on top of that, too, it just didn't turn out to be very fun. Very shortly after she received it, I said, hey, you really like this stone and you do not want to get rid of it. She's like. Oh, immediately knew, oh, this is a cursed item because, you know, she's able to step away and, you know, player knowledge versus character knowledge, of course. 
Um, so I kind of told her what happened with or what what worked with it and stuff. I'm like, okay, this can be kind of fun, especially, you know, if we're, we're doing like a lot of saving throws or ability checks and stuff. And like, say you're tying with people in the group, but you're not succeeding where they are. Like, you know, it, like it was going to kind of add like this li little tiny little bit of bad luck into the game on her part. And like the idea of it was going to be, okay, it's something that's not too harmful. It's something that's, you know, could be fun story-wise and, you know, coming up with, with reasons why, hey, she's not exceeding on the stuff when other people are, what kind of what's going on, you know, kind of have this like tiny little mystery, just, just something kind of fun to add in there. It wasn't meant to be like a big story beat. It wasn't meant to be, you know, anything long running and stuff. The problem is, is that she never really tied with anybody. So that never came into play. Um, it turned out to be just, you know, annoying because, you know, we're constantly redoing math for every ability check or saving throw that she's doing and stuff. And like overall, it's not really affecting gameplay in any sort of fun or positive way. So that's why um, when they ended up on uh, uh, Automa or Automata or whatever the, the mechanical plane was where they, you know, accidentally ended up, I'm like, this is a perfect time to get rid of this this cursed item. And I kind of talked to her about it. She's like, yeah, let's totally get rid of it. It's not fun anymore and all that stuff. So, I mean, you kind of added a little plot element to it and stuff because nobody knew what was going on. And we just kind of, you know, had our one session of fun with it, got rid of it. Didn't matter anymore. It's gone. So overall, I mean, yeah, failure on my part for kind of choosing something that didn't really matter and stuff where I could have done something that, added more of an advantage to something. And then, you know, like maybe little character quirks and stuff started popping up. Cause you know, this was our bard. So she's very flamboyant and out there and everything. Like imagine if all of a sudden she, she picked up like a small stutter or something, or like, you know, had like a twitch after saying, I don't know, a random word that she uses a bunch or something, or maybe spell casting just kind of goes a little awry or, you know, just like little things that kind of hint at it and stuff. But meanwhile, she's totally embracing this, this benefit that she's getting where, Oh, maybe you're, um, I, geez, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up off the top of my head now, but, um, uh, maybe your, your bardic inspiration, um, it, it wouldn't, no matter what everybody rolls, they get a plus two to it or something, you know, little ticks here and there, little things and stuff. Obviously that plus two well worth it much, much better that way. But then, as you use it more, maybe the curse gets worse. And, you know, we kind of talk about that and go into that. And, you know, it could be something again, that it's really good, but you got to have that negative aspect to it as well until it finally comes and bites them in the ass and something like that. And, you know, you kind of touched on it too. I really think if you're going big on it, if you want it to actually be, you know, deep in the, in the story and stuff, definitely talk to your player about it because, some of the things that I found is that your players are your best allies in Dungeons and Dragons. And if there's like, you know, a, a, a thing that they're kind of working on or you're trying to brainstorm like backstory with them or try to figure out things with that, sometimes it works a lot better to just discuss it, talk about it, figure things out instead of like springing it upon them in the future. And I think this is one of those instances where really kind of, you know, talking it out and, and, and looking for the fun in it before it's actually implemented is a good way to do it. A lot of times, and I've found this over the years, players love to have something they're collaborating with you, the DM on that the other players aren't aware of. Mm -hmm. Like they, most of the time I found players embrace that. And a lot of times when you do that, working in that collaboration, potentially even getting ideas from them. Cause this is at the end of the day, this is their character, right? Um, and doing that in a collaborative fashion, even cursed items, uh, it can make for a much more interesting experience. It can make for much more, much more rich storytelling and it can make for much higher player satisfaction mm -hmm. because the last thing you want is to make your player feel bad about something they had no control over, especially. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So the other big thing too, um, I think, I think remove curse on items is kind of silly uh, on certain things, at least, right? Um, 
there it has i think it has its place but i think far more interesting it would be working cursed items and the resolution to them into an ongoing thread of what you're doing in your campaign mm-hmm. i think that would be a much more interesting thing don't make them detour and cut everything off and you know put everything to the side because oh no our friend can't do xyz anymore because of this dumb cursed item yeah. now we have to just we have to put everything else on pause and go fix this real fast um let that be organic let that be able to happen while they're doing their main thing that they're doing or that they want to do. Or um, on top of that too, make it be that character's motivation to stick with the group. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that, that character needs the rest of the party to do something uh, and to help with it. But like I said, there's, there's, there may be, there may be a time and place for a, a clear the curse side quest. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you integrate it into what you're doing, that will likely lead to overall satisfaction from everybody and not just the one player who needs it done, because then the party will feel like they are accomplishing things as well, especially if it was the player's decision making that gets got them cursed in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one of those instances where. Um, you know, maybe you need to grab a book from the, the cursed library, which just happens to also be where the party needs to go to decipher some language that uh, none of them can read. So therefore, you know, it's a two for one, you know, you, you get your side mission done at the same time as you're doing your main mission. Everybody's seen this in video games. If you play Baldur's Gate three, there's a hundred examples of this. It's a really good thing to do tell you that that sorcerer I will, bookshop is a great place to get a couple things done i i will never stop seeing the praise of baldur's gate 3 uh both for <laughs> both for dms and players it can just make you a better dm and make you a better player just yes. by playing that game yeah i i can tell you right now i am going to be a much better dm than i was before playing that game um and it's funny because a lot of the things that we're talking about now I'm of course going to try to incorporate a lot of a lot of the stuff that you know we've discussed over the past 97 episodes and and everything into my current game but even more so I'm looking forward to my next campaign because I've learned so much in that time just from talking with you talking with guests and then also playing Baldur's Gate 3 it's going to be so much better yeah it's 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 pretty amazing pretty amazing um but there is a great video and we'll we'll link this in mm-hmm. the show notes uh, that Ginny D just did recently on uh, called the problem with cursed items and how to fix it, where it's a it is a little more bite sized than than this discussion. Uh, but she has some really great information, some great uh, ideas and examples. And the comment section of that video actually has some really good ideas and examples, too, that other people have thrown up there. Um, so just along with this cursed items discussion, we highly recommend you go watch that, check that out, check out the comments of that video. Uh, if you want another perspective on cursed mm-hmm. items as well. Yeah. Also just check out Jenny D in, in particular, cause she's got some really great content. Fantastic. Good stuff. Absolutely love her content. It's never disappoints. Uh, okay. So, uh, that's cursed items. If you have any questions, if you have a cool cursed item you ha- you made, if you have a cool story about a cursed item or even a story about uh, something you wish you did differently or better, mm-hmm. uh, feel free to email us at dndiscussions at gmail.com. We would love to hear your stories, answer your questions uh, about all things cursed items or anything Definitely. else, d Yeah, we love hearing from you. All right, so moving on a little bit, uh, we talked about Unearthed Arcana 8, the Bastions and Cantrips last episode. Well, the survey for that is out. Already? So, yeah, I know, right? 
So if you want to give your feedback on it, uh, about the new bastion system, the, the, what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it. I think overall, uh, for me, and I'll, I'll probably be filling this out sometime this week overall for me, I think it was a great idea. There's certainly a lot of tweaks I think that could happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's a little too restrictive in some spaces probably. Um, but overall I, I, I love the concept. I hope we see a refined version of it in the 2024 uh, Dungeon Master's Guide. So make sure to go give your feedback on those things as well. Definitely. Uh, also, D&D Beyond has a phenomenal series of interviews with several DMs, actually, on Planescape, uh, on the new uh, book set that's come out. Um, and... There are uh, <laughs> there are a bunch of smaller ones. So uh, Jasmine Bueller has one. Um, Kaylee Bray has one. Sage Ryan has one. But uh, <laughs> they are dominated by several snippets of what seems like it was a, a very large interview with Brennan Lee Mulligan, who <laughs> is apparently a self-professed like Planescape. Planescape is his love. Yes. Uh, and he talked about, and this is so funny. He talked about when he and his brother were in taking philosophy classes at age 14, which explains so much about Brett and Lee Mulligan, uh, taking college yes. philosophy classes. If you know anything when he was about 14. <laughs> yes. Uh, he's, he, a lot of tons of actually really good info. If you're looking to run a Planescape campaign as he's kind of been around, uh, he was around when the original Planescape and playing when the original Planescape was introduced uh, and the the philosophies behind the different alignments and the different factions and how how things work and how the Lady of Pain works and how Sigil works and uh, how the Outlands work and all that sort of fun stuff. The the interviews uh, with all the DMs are actually very good. Um, and his in particular, uh, there are a lot more of them. Uh, as well, because it seems like it was part of a bigger interview. So I highly recommend you go check all of those out uh, if you're interested in anything Planescape related, because they're all very good. Yes. All right. And then there's, there's all sorts of stuff. Um, this was dropped today. And I know we're a day late. Sorry. There's just things happening. Yes. But I'm actually kind of <laughs> glad that it was because uh, MCDM, one of my uh, I who I am a self-proclaimed fanboy of just I, I do think I do think they make the finest uh, 5e content around um, just dropped after months and months of uh, creation and testing because they actually have a very rigorous play test process. They have contract testers they bring in. They have the community testers they run. Uh, all of their stuff is very highly play tested. They just released their third custom class for fifth edition called the talent. And the talent is basically their version of a psionics class. Uh, psionics being from previous editions, there is no... There really is no uh, equivalent of it officially for fifth edition. So they decided to make it themselves. The supplement, it's a it's a full class. The supplement itself is almost 100 pages. Wow. It's got not only the class. It's got a, like 100 unique psionic spells. It's got a bunch of NPCs. It's got some monsters. It's got some stuff for uh, strongholds and followers and kingdoms and warfare. Like this is this is the full package. The art, as always, with basically every MCDM thing, is absolutely incredible. Um, their their art direction is just absolutely gorgeous, and they have basically come up with a caster that does not have spell slots. It is all based on this new system called strain, which allows you to cast these psionic spells and then uh, potentially roll your 
strain dice or whatever whatever the the mechanic is and if you fail your thing your move your spell still works but you take strain and they have a strain table and depending on your level you can only take so much strain and you have to put the strain into one of three categories and they're escalating categories of debuffs um and based on that you can cast and cast and cast and it's the balancing act between doing casting what is essentially an unlimited amount of spells versus I will die like deadsies at a certain point if I put myself through too much strain. And so it's a, it's an extremely interesting system. Uh, one that they, uh, he, uh, Matt talked about, they have balanced uh, incredibly finely, mm-hmm. but it but it puts all the power and all the decision making into the player's hands. Like they know when a roll will could kill them, That's and then cool. they have to make the decision: Do I do this big thing and potentially die, or do I not and do something else and not overstrain myself? They said uh, this is this is very much based on characters like Eleven from Stranger Things, uh, Jean Grey, uh, Charles Xavier, uh, any of the like uh, pyrokinetic people, telekinetic people, um, any of that mind stuff. But it is flavored in such a way and it is designed in such a way that it is very fantasy superhero is how they described because uh apparently the psionics of old were very sci-fi in nature so they wanted something uh like that but they could fit in this you know pseudo medieval setting this fantasy setting not a sci-fi setting necessarily so uh they built it specifically to allow for things like that so it is i it's 15 bucks on the website there is even a deck of cards you can get that has all the spells so like you know mm-hmm. your, your spell cards uh that you can get for that if you want there's a custom character sheet that you will also get a form fillable pdf character sheet that you can use uh to keep track of it digitally if you want to so uh, it's 15 bucks and almost 100 pages of value like like the value is ridiculous uh, and it's a full new class uh, along with their beast heart class uh, and their soon to be revised ill rigor class of which I have played mm-hmm. uh, in a short campaign and it was an absolute blast. Uh, their classes are so well made, well tested, well refined. I cannot recommend it enough. I picked it up and I can't wait to dive in and read through it. It's pretty cool. I mean, just from looking at the little bit of the preview that I saw, I am definitely interested. Um, way back when, um, back in college, actually, a friend of mine did a um, 3.0 campaign that I played one session of, and I was a psionic just because I thought it was interesting. And unfortunately, I played it too much like a Jedi, and people didn't like that I played it that way. So, yeah, I... Yeah. Anyways, long story short, I I didn't go back. Doesn't matter. But that that's always been an interesting kind of class to me is the, just the psionic, just because it opens up so many different doors. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why like mind flayers and illithids are interesting because they have, you know, kind of you know quote unquote magic abilities, but it's not based on magic at all. It's completely all based on psionics. And I just think it's kind of cool to having uh, a character being able to kind of tap into that well and, uh, you know, have a different sort of system in order to kind of keep things going and running. And it makes sense to have like a, you know, a, a resource like strain that can just, you know, end up decimating you if you're doing too much and trying to keep so many plates juggling or spinning at the same time and stuff. It, it really seems like it's a very cool class and I'm probably going to take a good deep look at it soon. Yeah, it's, it is certainly something uh, that looks like uh, I would consider playing it at some point. Very for cool. sure. For sure. 
Yeah. Now we just need the third party content on D&D Beyond so that these classes would be integrated into D&D Beyond. D&D Beyond Wizards give NCDM all the monies oh my so gosh. that they can put their content there. They would be the best partner. They would to sell. Have. They would they would sell so much. Mm-hmm. Definitely. They would sell so much. Um yeah. Please, please put it on so I can have Flea Mortals and uh, <laughs> their their layer book and their custom classes uh, and Strongholds of Fallers and Kingdoms of Warfare stuff on D&D Beyond. Please, that would be um, so incredible. Yes. So incredible. Well, that about does it for us tonight. Uh, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Uh before we go, as always, we usually talk about what we've been up to in our games. Ben, I know uh, just with all the sickness and health stuff, it's yeah, been rough. Have, haven't restarted yet. Um, I'm, I'm I'm trying to be realistic and seeing if it's something that I could even do before the beginning of the year, considering the holidays are coming up very, very soon here and uh, schedules just get destroyed in December. Plus, that's. Uh, when my work really picks up and is super, super busy. So I'm trying to figure out if I'm even going to get to play before that or not. Mm. Well, I am, uh, I am hopefully going to be doing my campaign for session zero here uh, soon ish or slowly getting to that point where I'll be, I'll be coming back to around to the DM thing, but until that happens, I am I'm playing the Curse of Strahd game uh, with some very good friends, and that has been an absolute blast. It is very different, very different tone oh, yeah. uh, than most of the D&D I have played, obviously, uh, and has one of my favorite player characters I've ever played, though, uh, a monster hunter based uh, loosely on the Belmonts, Castlevania. Uh, I've had lots of Castlevania inspiration. And if you haven't seen it, the first four seasons of Castlevania on Netflix, uh, phenomenal. The the new season, uh, Castlevania Nocturne, just dropped uh, a few weeks back. Um, and it's kind of a continuation in that that video game series takes place, uh, I think, a few hundred years later in the French Revolution. Oh, cool. Uh, the first, first season of that just dropped. Uh, they've got another already announced on the way. It was uh, so very good. Uh, and it, honestly, if you're doing running or playing in a Curse of Strahd campaign, it's very good inspiration. So <laughs> this is a D&D show, but I highly recommend uh, <laughs> Castlevania. Phenomenal okay. show. Very cool. Yeah, I know you recommended that to me, and I'm like, I need to definitely take a look into that because it seems like it'd be a lot of fun. The nice thing is uh, the new Castlevania is, is very standalone. So you don't necessarily because it takes place a few hundred years. Mm-hmm. Later, so you don't necessarily have to watch all four seasons of the first one. Uh, but you should because it's very good. Uh, but anyways, we will we will be back next time uh, and we may have some more news depending on how things go with the games we are playing in. But until then. Uh, thank you so for, much for listening. We'll have all the fun links we talked about today on the website, dndiscussions.com in mm-hmm. the show notes uh, when this episode is live. And Ben, why don't you tell everyone where we can be reached? You bet. Um, again, if you have any really cool or really bad cursed item stories, email those to us at dndiscussions at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Um, or if you just have another story or a question or anything else that you want to ask, you know, we're here for that. Um, on top of that, if you are on Blue Sky Social, you can find us there. Uh, we are at dndiscussions. Uh, Ryan uh, himself is at tbkzord. I am at Ben Bumhofer, and that's a, a very good place to just kind of reach out um, if you don't want to take the time to email us. So check us out there. Um, if you want to hear me play Dungeons and Dragons, you can check me out on Plus 5 to Hit. Uh, Ryan has played before in previous episodes, but his character is on a hiatus at the moment uh, in uh, parts unknown to the rest of the party. So we are still hoping that you'll arrive back soon. Uh, however, once our newest uh, Rhyme of the Frostman episode drops, we are going to take a small hiatus and uh, you know do a, a one-shot or just a mini campaign just to kind of give our DM a break. So uh, definitely check that out when that uh, starts recording in a couple weeks here um 
Aside from that, this is episode 98. There are 97 other episodes. Uh, you can find them on your podcast player of choice. And believe it or not, they're all probably kind of mostly relevant unless you're looking at the UA stuff and playtest things. Those are probably well, well past the, the, the point of no return. But they're all there. We would love to have you take a look at them if you like them. You know what? Rate our show. Give us five stars. Whatever your platform of choice is. It helps out the show a whole lot and also gives us a, a lot of support, which we really appreciate. So, everybody, until next time, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of DN Discussions. Ryan, it has been a blast as always. And until next time, everybody, roll high and be good to each other. Take care. We'll see you soon.